I'm not going to take a bunch of time today to go through announcements. Hopefully when you walked in, you were given one of our handouts. I trust that you guys can read through there. If you happen to be joining us online or through YouTube or podcast later, you can access all those notes at bit.ly slash notesrw. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash notesrw. Just capitalize the N, the R, and the W, and you can find what we are seeing here uh, in paper. Uh, just a couple things I do want to point out. If you are a first-time guest, on the back of that uh, handout, uh, there's some announcements just for you. The one I want to highlight to you is that we, um, uh, yeah, it is quite warm in here, isn't it? I did flip those to uh, air conditioning, but Minette, if you want, you could pump that down one or two. My wife's going to hate me for saying that because she's always uh, cold. Uh, but uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, inside of that handout is a connection card. Our, our church family fills that out every week. We just write our names on the top line, and then we use the back for prayer requests, signing up for things like food pantry. But uh, if you're willing to fill out the entire front of that card, what we do is we donate $5 to Compassion International for every first-time guest. Uh, Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They work through local churches, helping the kids get an education, get some food, some clothing. But most of all, they let them know the life-changing message of the gospel, which we are all about here at Riverwood. So if you're willing to fill out that card, no pressure. We're not going to uh, arm twist you into it. But if you're willing to fill that out, just drop it in our giving box on your way out today. Uh, you can look, find that right by the doors uh, here in the worship gathering space or the doors right by uh, the exit. And uh, drop that in there and we will get that $5 sent off on your behalf. Uh, then uh, just a couple things. Those graduates that were just up here, uh, some of them still have uh, grad parties. Uh, those who are inviting you, their information should be on on the uh, resource table. Mari, I know we didn't get one from you. When is yours? When's your graduation party? What, say it again. Today from four to six. I missed the word today. Four to six. All right. So today, four to six at... At, at Grace Baptist. All right. So Grace Baptist, across from McDonald's, four to six. Uh, there, uh, I know Allie's is today right here at the Riverwood building. Uh, Allison's is, is next week. Uh, Jeremiah's was last week, so you guys all missed it, but it was good. Uh, so th <laughs> thank you for the taco meat, Jeremiah. Uh, so hopefully you can uh, go and uh, make those uh, uh, parties and support them uh, that way. If you are a, uh, a female over the age of 18 and you were not with us last week on Mother's Day, we gave uh, Mother's Day gifts. We have a few left over. We would really love to give those to you. Uh, there's chocolate in them, so you want to get them, and also you need to take them so that I don't go and eat all the chocolate. Uh, so that would be a, a big help uh, as well. Uh, and then uh, VBS registration is uh, now open. Uh, and then uh, I had just one more. Uh, oh yeah, next Sunday we're going to do a, a parent-child dedication. So I, know, I think there's a couple families that uh, have mentioned it, uh, thinking about it. So if you want to uh, be a part of that, we're going to do that next Sunday as part of our worship gathering. Uh, if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts. Head over to Acts chapter 4. Now nah, we'll just leave it. Well, back in the Stone Ages, uh, back before the Roku, uh, Apple uh, TV, Fire Stick, you know, back when us Neanderthals in the uh, early 2000s had to get our television entertainment via airwaves, there was a TV show called Lost. Now, I was serving as the young adult pastor of a church. I was also part of a leadership team for a citywide young adult ministry. And all of the young adults, whether at my church or at Watershed, were talking about the show Lost. Now, my family had little kids. We, we just had no time for TV. We just didn't watch it. And then I found out that ABC, for the first time ever, was beginning to put their shows on the internet. 
And so my wife and I figured out a way to have a date night. We'd get the kids in bed, and then we'd open up my big clunky laptop, and we would watch Lost and slowly catch up with all the young adults. And they were right. This show was riveting. Every single week, you were left with some sort of cliffhanger. And you're wondering, where are the writers going with this? What, what's going to happen? What does this mean? And so all week long, everyone was talking about the latest episode of Lost. Now, at the height of Lost's uh, uh, popularity, it lasted about six seasons. Some seasons were pretty good. Yeah, some were all right. But at the height of its popularity, there was a pastor that I heard lamenting the fact that the people in his church were more excited about Lost than they were the Scripture. And he began wondering, would there be a way for pastors to teach that would create these like scriptural cliffhangers so that people would be longing to come back to church and want to hear the next part? Now, if you were with us last week during Mother's Day, you heard me say that in our study of the book of Acts, I was skipping a section. We were, we were jumping to the end of chapter four and that I was intentionally saving a section for today. I think my pastor friend would hope that that would create a scriptural cliffhanger, that you guys had Sunday circled on your calendar, that you arrived here early, that you already had Acts 4 open, and you were waiting with bated breath to learn what happened next. But I am not going to fool myself. None of you were doing that, because all you had to do was go and read the section we skipped. In fact, by me admitting that we were skipping a section and, and moving into this week, some of you might have ignored last week's sermon and just gone, well, why did he skip this? And read through it and try and figure it out for yourself. Thankfully, I talked for 35 minutes, and so it doesn't take that long to read it. Today, we're going back to that because there are some things there that are not only more exciting than an episode of Lost, but they are absolutely life-changing. Now, what is this life-changing truth that we're going to see in Acts 4 verses 23 through 31. Well, it has to do with prayer. Last November, the, uh, make sure I get their name right, the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion released an academic study on the topic of prayer. They surveyed people, finding out the different demographics that were praying, the frequency of the prayer, how long they were praying, but also the content of their prayers. They asked people on these specific topics, do you always pray for this? Most of the time, sometimes, rarely, or never. When you combined the always and most of the time, the top uh, topic was praying for the well-being of others. I, I was actually impressed by that, that we as Americans pray more for others than we do just for ourselves. Uh, number two was uh, praise to God. I would think that probably incorporates some uh, thanksgiving, some, some gratitude. And then you had things like guidance, forgiveness, health, relationships. Uh, I apologize for the really pathetic graph. That is theirs. Uh, you would think uh, in 2022 that they could put out a higher uh, quality uh, graph and make it more readable. But I think academic journals do their best to make their stuff as boring as possible. Uh, so that's why they do that to us. But y you can kind of see the topics there if you, if you squint just right. Now, I was only surprised by a couple of things. I was surprised that praise came in number two. I, I thought that might slip down a little bit. I th think, thought we were a little more selfish, but anyway, it was up there. But I was also surprised that finances was as low as it was. I think, I think it's like the, uh, uh, oh, it's the bottom one, very last there. 
uh, I, I've just known some people who've gone through some financial crisis. And so I just thought that would, you know, kind of have bumped up uh, a little bit more. Otherwise, that, that didn't surprise me a bit. I, most all of that is what I expect. Because most all of that is what I hear in my prayers and in the prayers of others. But as we look at Acts 4, we discover that there's something very sad, uh, sadly missing in that chart. And I will be the first to confess, it's also sadly missing in my prayers. And because I know most of you, I suspect it's probably sadly lacking in your prayers as well. What is it that's lacking? That's what Acts 4 is going to show us today. Now, before we jump into Acts 4, I just want to say that the reason I saved this passage for today is because I wanted to use it to talk directly to our five grads. I didn't want them to miss it not knowing if they'd be here last week. And, and I, besides, I felt like the next section was more appropriate for Mother's Day. And so I want to talk directly to you five graduates. Now, this does not mean that the rest of you just need to tune out, that this is only for them. No, I, I believe that what you're going to hear today is, is just as much for you. But just as you guys are getting ready, next, for most of you next Sunday, to walk across the stage to receive a diploma, to be recognized for all of your time, what you've done, and getting ready to move into the next chapter, what we're going to see today has the potential to absolutely radically change your life. You have some dreams, you have some ideas of what you want to do, and, and what we're going to hear today does not mean you have to change those dreams. But I think it will change the content of your prayers about those dreams. And that's what I want to get to you today. So five graduates, I really hope you'll lean in and listen, because I hope something in this will really help you for this next chapter. So let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as I get ready to uh, teach from Acts 4, I pray that ultimately you would be our teacher. Uh, just because I've spent a week uh, working through this passage and, and have brought this message to, to my church family and, and particularly to these five grads, uh, these words have been here way longer than any of us have been on this earth. And they will continue to be here even after we have passed. And so I pray, Father, that you would be the one who would teach us what is it you wanted your early church to hear? What is it those first believers needed to know? And what is it that we, even here in 2023, need to hear and absorb into our lives, especially into our prayer lives? That's why I ask God for you to be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, to understand what we're about to read in uh, chapter 4, we need to just do a, a short review. Uh, two weeks ago, we did Acts chapter 3 and half of chapter 4 because it was one long story. What we saw was Peter and John, two of the apostles, headed to the Jewish temple to go and pray when a lame beggar asked them for alms, asked for some money. Well, they didn't have any money on them at the time, but Peter knew that if I just gave the guy some change, it would just help him short term. Instead, he wanted to help the guy long-term. And so he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And a miracle happened. The man's legs suddenly became strong. He stood up and he's so overwhelmed that he starts leaping and jumping around and praising God. Well, as Peter and John are making their way into the temple, this guy's following them and he's continuing to just sing and worship and praise God. And it causes a commotion. And pretty soon a large crowd gathers around. And so Peter starts preaching. And basically says, yeah, this guy was healed, but not because of, of us, but because of Jesus. And then he begins sharing about how Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected from the dead. Well, all of these people being there caused such a commotion that the temple authorities arrive. They hear them preaching about Jesus. By the way, about a thousand people put their faith in Christ that day. But the temple authorities feel so threatened by this 
that they end up arresting Peter and John, throw them in jail overnight, and the next day haul them out before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. So the Sanhedrin starts asking them questions. How did this happen? And they're not just like inquisitive, like, oh, we're curious. No, they're accusatory. They're after these guys. And they begin to really put the pressure upon them, ultimately saying, you may no longer preach in this name. And that's when Peter responds this way. If your Bible's open there to Acts 4, go to verse 19. Acts 4, we're going to read verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Well, this incensed the leaders. So much so that they began to threaten them even more. But then eventually they released them. Now grads, I want you to imagine, what must that have been like? I have never been persecuted quite like that. Now, I, I have had some people not want to listen to me. I, I actually have found out one guy thought my, my views were dangerous. I still don't know how, but he, he thought they were dangerous. And, and, but but I, I've never been like emotionally and, and, and like physically threatened like this. I mean, okay, yeah, one time I did get punched in the back of the head when we lived in Venezuela, simply because I was a white American and Protestant, but I'll share that story another time. But I, I've never been like in a situation that, that they're in. I, I, I want you to think about it for just a second. What if you got drugged before some sort of authority? The, the police, a, a government institution, a, a, uh, um, just at your school. And, and rather than just ask inquisitive questions, they start interrogating. They start really starting to pin you down. They start pressuring you and they start threatening you. Start threatening you with loss of relationships, loss of time, loss of freedoms, maybe loss of life. What do you pray? Most of us, I, I think we'd start praying what was on that chart. We'd, we'd start praying for protection, for maybe some strength, maybe wisdom. I want you to notice, though, how Peter and John and the church prayed. Look at, uh, start in verse 23 with me. Acts 4, starting at 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Did you hear it? 
I mean, yeah, I, I get it. It's a long, flowery prayer. You know, they start off by describing who God is. Then they're theologically correct. You know, well, it's David who wrote this psalm, but it was also, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit writing. And, and, and I mean, it, it was a, a flowery prayer. It's also the longest prayer in the book of Acts. So I, I, I understand if you didn't quite see it right out. So, so let me help you, right? Your teachers would never do this. I'm a nicer guy than your teachers. I'll even show you the answer. Go to verse 29. What is it that they pray? They've just been interrogated. They've just been threatened. And so do we hear them pray? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants safety? No. Uh, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants wisdom? I I think that would be a wise prayer, a good prayer, but no, that's not what they pray. And, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and crush them under your righteous thumb and smite them off the face of the earth. Tempting, but no. We hear them pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Think about that for just a second. Boldness is what got Peter and John in trouble in the first place. And now they pray for more of it. In fact, they don't just pray for more boldness. They pray for all boldness. This is the opposite of what you would expect. If the early church had hired a PR firm, I suspect that this public relations advisor would say, okay, guys, um, you're going to just have to like lower down on the rhetoric about the resurrection. And you're going to have to stop putting all the blame upon the religious leaders and the people. All right, you're going to have to cut that out. All right, here's what we're going to do. What I advise you to do is, is just like preach about all that love stuff Jesus talked about. Like pull, pull some of that out. And, and you know, you guys have been doing some miracles. So why, why not do like a, a, a feeding of the 5,000 again? I mean, people like food. You know, that'll really placate people. That'll calm things down. Let this blow over for a week or, a, 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 you know, a few months. And then you can get back to talking about the resurrection. Now, thankfully, they didn't have a PR firm to blow such smoke at them. Instead, they saw the threats, they saw what was happening, and it led them to pray for boldness. How? Like, what, what would even cause them to think, this is, this is what I should pray? Because, I mean, I'll confess, I'm a wimp. Like, this would never even cross my mind. Yeah, protection. Wisdom, strength, but, but boldness? I think the reason they begin to pray for boldness is answered in what we see earlier in their prayer. They start their, ver- their prayer back in verse 24. They start it by saying, Sovereign Lord. Now, they go on to describe what the Sovereign Lord did through his sovereignty, how he created all things. But that title, that word, that adjective is the answer. You see, the word sovereign, when used as an adjective, simply means possessing supreme or ultimate power. In Christian theology, the sovereignty of God means that he is over all things, means he is an authority in every arena of life, and that nothing happens apart from his awareness. He knows all. He is in control of all. So this means that as Peter and John and the rest of the the disciples, the the 5,000 people of the church, are praying, they're saying, God, 
we know that our arrest by the Jewish leaders was not a surprise to you. In fact, it was ordained by you. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit, uh, talk about it more here in a moment. But they're saying, you, God, are sovereign. You are in control. And then in their prayer, we notice after they describe what God did through his sovereignty of creating all things, we then hear them go and quote from Psalm 2. This whole event that they've just been through, standing before the Sanhedrin, having all this pressure put against them, it makes them think of this psalm. Now, I want you to stay right there in Acts, but I'm going to go and read from Psalm 2, and I want you just to compare what you hear read from Psalm 2, 1 and 2, with what you see there in Acts, uh, I think it's like 25. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, when the uh, original writer, probably King David, as, as they attribute it to him, was writing it, he is thinking of the Lord as God and the anointed as the king, being himself, King David. But Jesus had taught the disciples that all of the Hebrew scriptures ultimately was about him, that it all pointed to him. And, and so they in a sense, reinterpret and see this in a new light, that yes, it is about God and his king. It is also about God and the ultimate king, the descendant of David, the true and better David, Jesus. That's why we hear them pray this in verse 27. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. You see it? They're saying there are kings who were against God, rulers, the nations were raging against God. It's almost as if they see Psalm 2, 1 and 2 as being a prophecy written a thousand years before these events happened, and it's almost like it's being fulfilled right here and now. And this gives them confidence? Because if God could say, here's what's going to happen, and he says it a thousand years ago, and it happens, it reveals the sovereignty of God. That's why we hear them pray this in verse 28. That these people, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, Israel, to do whatever your hand, O God, and your plan, O Lord, had predestined to take place. All right, now this is beginning to lead us to a very uncomfortable doctrinal truth. Many people start to get really, really uncomfortable at this idea that God is sovereign and predestines things. Because what this means is they're saying that God predestined, he planned for Peter to notice the lame man, to have his heart moved, to want to heal him, to have the guy then follow them and create a commotion, which drew in the crowds. God then put the words on Peter's lips to preach to the crowd. God opens the hearts over a thousand people who put their faith in Jesus, but God also allowed these Jewish leaders to come and arrest them, to come and persecute them, to come and threaten them. And if you go on to study church history, 
We discover Peter dies. He's actually crucified for his faith in Christ, and he refuses to let them crucify him because he doesn't think he even deserves the death of his Savior. So they crucify him upside down. And John ends up being relegated to an island to put in exile so he can't create any more problems. And the sovereignty of God allowed this, predestined this, planned for this. So what you're saying, Aaron, is that God predestined that murder, that child's abuse, the, the cancer, my, my losing of my job, the loss of that loved one. It gets really, really uncomfortable. And, and, and I know people who've left churches for even daring talk about this and I know people who've actually even left the Christian faith because of it. Because if God is supposedly so good and so powerful, then how could he predestine such evil? I, I get it. I, I understand it. The problem is, we are only seeing this from a human perspective. We are not seeing it from an eternal perspective. Any of you know what a tapestry is, I'm talking to the grads, a, a, a tapestry is uh, a, a work of art, but rather than use paint, they use thread. You, you weave it in such a way as to create the, the picture. But have you ever seen the back of a tapestry? It's an absolute mess. It's a disaster. It looks nothing like the front. Even if you go in there and you trim out some of that thread or, or yarn, the image you see it, it looks twisted. It looks wrong. Like no one displays the back of the tapestry. You make sure to flip it around, the back's against the wall, and you let the nice, beautiful front be seen. The trials, the pain, the difficulties, the persecution, that's the back of the tapestry. In the book of Genesis, we meet a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. That's the back of the tapestry. We then later see Joseph thrown in prison because the wife of his slave master told a lie about him. That's the back of the tapestry. We then see him show some kindness to the fellow prisoners. And yet when they get out, he's forgotten. That's the back of the tapestry. And yet... We see Joseph crediting all of that weaving to God because he ends up getting out of prison, ends up being made second in command in Egypt. Through him, he was able to know that a drought was coming, so he helped the nation of Egypt prepare for it, and that allowed him to be in position so that when his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, come looking for food, he's able to save them and his entire family. That is why he said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he's talking to his brothers. He said this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Everything he went through, it was the back of the tapestry. It was ugly. It was a mess. It was awful. But then when all is said and done, he's able to look and see, no, God was weaving something beautiful. Had God not done these things, I would not have been in place to help rescue our people. 
He saw this as the hand of God. That's why we hear his words there echo what we just heard the early church pray. They were comfortable at this idea of God being so sovereign and in control that even the bad things of this life are not a surprise to him. Now, don't get it wrong. God, as a pure, righteous God, he is not the one actively doing the evil. He has an adversary, Satan. Satan is wanting to steal, kill, and destroy like a thief in the night. In the book of Job, we read how there's this man named Job. He's righteous. He's rich. Everyone loves him. And Satan comes along and says, yeah, the only reason he worships you is because you blessed him. God's like, no, I know the man's heart. So Satan gets permission to ruin Job's life. And Job loses everything. His family, his wealth, his reputation, even his health. Now, the uncomfortable truth is God allowed it. It's Satan who did it, but God gave the permission. From our perspective, when you see Job sitting there with scrapes on his body and, and he's lost it all, you're thinking, what a cruel God. And yet, if you keep reading and you get to the end, you suddenly see the tapestry flipped and you discover God has restored everything to him because God knows he can always undo what Satan wants. The story is not done. I have no idea why your tapestry might look the way it does on the backside. All I know is if you're still breathing, God's still weaving. And so you've got to keep going. You've got to hang on. So grads, I have no idea what the next chapter has for you. There may be some difficult, ugly moments. You may find yourself with people coming against you, coming against your faith. But if you continue to seek after God, let him continue to weave because you don't know what he's doing. But, but maybe this isn't convincing enough. Maybe Joseph, Job, even Peter and John's story isn't enough to convince you of the sovereignty of God. All you have to do is look at the cross. As we go to the Old Testament, we see over and over and over and over these whispers from God through the stories, through the prophets that pointed to Christ, pointed to this concept of God taking on human flesh, living a sinless life, but going and dying this cruel, awful, horrible death in order to free people from their sin. It was right there in front of everyone, but it didn't fit the narrative that they had in their head. And so they couldn't see it. And yet, when Jesus came and did it, now so many of us can look back and we see how clearly God was working. And yet, the back of the tapestry of the cross is ugly. The Son of God, the only sinless human to have ever lived on this earth, was brutally murdered. It's as ugly as it can get. And yet through that, God weaved the most beautiful artwork the universe has ever seen. The forgiveness of sin and the reconciliation between God and man. They can come back together into relationship. And it's all because God planned it. He predestined it. He made it happen for you and for me. And when you realize that God is so sovereign that nothing happens outside of his control, it can actually give you comfort, confidence, and boldness.
Because you know that no matter what comes at you, your God is still with you. He is still for you. And he's not done. Even when Jesus was in the grave and the disciples thought it was all over, the story wasn't finished. So just look to the cross. It is a historically verifiable event. So even if God gives you no other evidence for his love for you, all you have to do is look at the resurrected Jesus and you know that's enough. And that can give you enough to be bold and to move forward. But now let me be realistic. Because it's one thing for us to hear about boldness. It's another thing for us to actually do it. And I will admit, I'm a chicken. There have been times when I have had people ask me really difficult questions and I don't know how to answer. There have been times I've stumbled onto people's stories and I really don't know what to say. As you head off to college, as you head off into the workforce, as you head off into whatever adventure is next, you may come across some really well-reasoned arguments for atheism or, or for a different religion or, or for some ideas and concepts that seem to counteract what you've maybe been taught at home or, or through Riverwood that seem to go against what the scriptures say. And it will create in with, within you these doubts. You, you aren't going to be quite sure what to do and how to respond. In 20 years ago, I just realized uh, this yesterday, it's 20 years ago, uh, I was planning a retreat for college students. And I, I wanted to address some of these difficult questions and issues. And in that process, I came across some questions I had never faced before. And here I was, a brand new young adult pastor, leading this ministry, helping establish the citywide ministry. And I am losing my faith. I, I, I almost came to a point of thinking there is no God. And so I think that's why I'm not too worried about this whole deconstruction thing that's happening right now in our world. Because if God can help me through that time, he can help you through that time. I, I do not believe that God calls you to blind faith. A, a faith that can't be questioned is no faith at all. See, all you have to do is look at the cross and the empty tomb. It's true. It happened. It can't be taken away. Historians have tried, and they, they can't do it. So because you know that is true, you can begin to trust the other things as true. And that can give you that confidence to remain bold, to remain sure of God's love for you, for his love for those around you, that even if the nations and the peoples around you rage against your faith, God can handle it, and you can continue to go forth. So what might your life look like if you pray for boldness? Now, I want to finish with two things. First, I want to uh, give just a clarification, and then I want to give you a tip. First, the uh, clarification. Boldness does not mean be a jerk. You can be bold and kind. You can be bold and respectful. You can be bold and ask questions. Boldness does not just come at the top of your lungs. It doesn't come by burning others. Boldness is simply just a confidence. In fact, Peter himself, the one we've been reading about here in Acts, in the first letter that we have uh, from him in uh, the canon of Scripture, 
He wrote this. This is 1 Peter 3, 15. He said, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. You see, if your life is in Christ, if you say, I am a Christian, you're identifying with the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you're, you're, you're following him, you are to honor him in your heart as holy. But then, as people come to you with questions, push back, you are to be ready to make a defense. In other words, be bold. Now, you don't have to have all the answers. You can just, at, at a minimum, point to Jesus and say, I, I don't know everything on this. I don't know how to answer your questions on that. All I do know is Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead, and that has made all the difference in the world to me. But notice, as you say it, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. You don't have to be a jerk to be bold. You can be confident in who God is and what he's doing in his sovereignty. And he can still represent the character of Christ. So that's my uh, um, one caveat there. Um, now my, my tip. Uh, one thing that will help you be bold is to not just pray for boldness, but to partner with up, up with other Christians who want to be bold. In our story, in Acts 3 and 4, we don't see just Peter or just John. We see Peter and John. When Jesus sent out his disciples around Israel to preach about the kingdom of God, he sent them out in pairs, two by two. Now, if you ever find yourself alone, yeah, I, I hope you will be bold. But man, it is so much easier to be bold when you've got someone else there with you. So if you're headed to a college, find a campus ministry, a place where they are going to point to Jesus, they're going to encourage you, they're going to love people, they're going to respect the scriptures, and they're going to help you be bold. If you're headed off into the workforce and you're staying local, dive even deeper here into the Riverwood family. Or if you're, you're headed somewhere else, find a church that will do just that, help you follow Christ, centered on the gospel. But the more you have these people in your lives, the easier it's going to be to remain bold. Yeah, you, you can do it alone, but it's dumb to do it alone. Don't be dumb. You guys are graduates. Find some people to partner up with and let them pray for you and with you and pray for boldness. Four, the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them is able to look upon the threats, the pains, the difficulties that come against you and he is able to give you all boldness to stand firm in your faith and to handle it with grace and wisdom and, and, and strength. All you have to do is ask. So Heavenly Father, we ask right now for boldness. As we have already prayed for our grads, that as they go into this next chapter, help them to follow you. I pray for us as an entire church family that the Riverwood family would be a place known for its boldness. Not because we're loud and proud, not because we, we uh, have something great and cool. We'd simply be bold because of who you are. We have such confidence in your sovereignty 
that we know that no matter what difficulty might come our way, you can handle it because it has not caught you by surprise and you can even use it to weave something beautiful that what Satan has intended for evil, you can work for good. Father, help us, whether we're headed to college or headed to work or headed home or headed to our neighborhood or headed to our clubs or wherever we go, we would go with all boldness because of who you are and what you've done. I pray this over our grads and I pray it over us as a church that you would help us even in our moments of doubt to trust you, to trust that you are still weaving. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.